0: Well, in our exposition of Matthew, we've arrived at the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the greatest sermon ever preached. This is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man who ever walked the earth because Jesus was more than a mere man. He was God in the flesh. He is the Messiah, the ruler of Israel and the world. And he is, uh, And here what we have is the message of, of the king. The, the forerunner has prepared the way for us or for him. And now we get to finally hear from the king. So far in, in this gospel, as we've been looking through it, the, we, we've seen a lot of Matthew's testimony about who Jesus Christ is. Matthew has shown us over and over from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Christ. But we haven't really heard much from Jesus in his own words. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15, Jesus said to John the Baptist, Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, in the three temptations, Jesus quoted scriptures. Matthew 4 and verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4 and verse 7, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Matthew 4.10, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In chapter 4 and verse 17, we saw a brief summary of his preaching. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is the king, and he came to offer his kingdom to Israel on the basis of their repentance. And then He, we heard Jesus call some of his first-time disciples. To Peter and Andrew, he said in 4.19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. To James and John in 4.21, uh, it says there, And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat, with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, And it just simply says, he called them. And so we've heard just very brief snippets of the king from the king, and now we're going to hear him in his own words in a fuller sense. In verses 23 to 25, we had that brief summary of his Galilean ministry that really leads up to the sermon. Look at 4.23 there. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And it's to these disciples that Jesus now speaks. This sermon is primarily to the disciples, but the crowds are also present. And today I just want to introduce the sermon. This is a a message to disciples of Jesus Christ, and it shows us the kind of person who will enter the kingdom when it is established by the king. It shows the orientation of Jesus's disciples, that they have a radical commitment to him Jesus Christ, and to the Father. Jesus' true disciples are committed to Him, and that's primarily evident in a righteous life that they live. And that righteousness isn't merely an external righteousness that's practiced before men. Their righteousness is internal. It's lived before God who sees the secret person of the heart. They live righteously even when nobody sees except God. Jesus' Jesus's disciples are also not earthly minded. They, they expect to be rewarded in heaven. And so when the kingdom comes, they expect to be rewarded and not in their time on this earth. On earth, they will be persecuted. In heaven, they will be rewarded. And in the midst of this persecution, they are to rejoice and to let their light shine. They're to pray for their enemies and be like their father in heaven, Matthew 5.45, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now the standard of this sermon is extremely high. Matthew 5.48, Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now what we need to understand here is that this instruction isn't on how to become a disciple or what must be achieved in order to enter the kingdom or that is, this is, this isn't how to become a citizen of the kingdom. This is an, on, this is instructions on how to live as a citizen of the coming kingdom or how to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus calls his people to aim for as they live their lives for him. This is for those who have already repented and decided to follow Jesus. And it teaches us how to think and how to live as children of God. And by doing that, it also highlights the difference between a true and a false believer. This message concludes with a warning in Matthew 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven there's a wide gate and there's a narrow path and there's a wide path that looks religious but leads to destruction and the true believer though is on the narrow way and obeys jesus christ as lord he or she will put jesus's words in this sermon into practice and so this sermon makes a disciple examine his or her life and ask Which path am I on? Which way am I headed? The only one who can put these things into practice is the person who has already repented and believed. And so you must be born again in order to live as Jesus calls us to live here. And even then, we will fall short. But this is what a kingdom citizen looks like. This is how a disciple of Christ wants to live at the core of who they are. And so as we look at this, and, and we're going to read through the whole sermon right now, I, wanna, I want you to ask yourselves, do these things describe me? And do I want to follow Jesus on these terms? And so let's go, and you can, you can listen, or you can just follow along. We're going to start at Matthew 5 and verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain... "'Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven.' "'For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. "'You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, "'how shall its saltiness be restored? "'It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out "'and trampled under people's feet. "'You are the light of the world. "'A city set on a hill cannot be hidden.' nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, For it is better that you lose one of your members than let your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven." For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. Now I want to point out this morning five observations from the sermon as a whole, and then next week we're going to dig into it a little bit closer verse by verse. But I think these observations are going to help us to understand the sermon better. But what I really want this to do is to challenge you in your commitment to Jesus Christ this morning. I want you to examine your own life with what Jesus calls his disciples to do? Are you the kind of person that Jesus describes in this greatest of all sermons? And the first observation is that this sermon is for disciples who have God as their father. This sermon is for disciples who have God as their father. We could start in verse 1. The crowds of, of people were flocking to Jesus because of His teaching and because of the miracles that He was doing. Now, Jesus hasn't yet called his and appointed the, the 12 apostles, but He has called some people to follow Him. And He went up the mountain, and, uh, which really could just be tr- translated or, or understood as He went up into the hill country. And verse one, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying. And so this sermon is for disciples. And sitting was a a common way for teachers to teach in that day. Now, by the end of the sermon we learn that crowds were listening as well, and so there's not only the disciples there, but also the crowds are listening. Verse twenty eight. Of chapter 7, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. But really, the sermon is meant for the disciples. And throughout the discourse, Jesus addresses his hearers as those who have God as their Father. Again, the sermon is for disciples who have God. As their father, now you probably know this already, but I, I need to say it anyway, not everybody has God as their father. And just to show you that, I want you to turn with me to John chapter eight. John chapter eight, we'll start at verse 38. Jesus is speaking here, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so unbelievers have the devil as their father, and the evidence of that is that they cannot bear to hear Jesus' words. They don't want the truth. They want lies. But the people that Jesus is speaking to in this sermon, in Matthew chapter 5, are people that have God as their father. Now, this calling God Father wasn't at all common in Jesus' day. In fact, when Jesus came calling God his Father, the the Jews wanted to stone him because it implied equality with God. In, In John chapter 5 and verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father making Himself equal with God. When Jesus teaches His disciples to call God Father, it it doesn't mean that, that we are somehow equal to God. In the New Covenant, through our salvation, God adopts us into His family. We become sons of God through our union with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus does here is really brand new. He taught His disciples to view God as their Father and themselves as God's sons. He wants them to know that as His disciples, they have entered into a close, personal relationship with God. Now, I won't show you all the references to this because there's so many, but I just want to show you a few of these. Chapter 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Chapter 5, verse 16, In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five forty five, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. Matthew five and verse forty eight, therefore or you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 6 and verse 4, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, Verse 6, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And chapter 7 and verse 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven good give good things to those who ask Him? And so the sermon is for disciples who have God as their Father. That is, they already have a relationship with God. They have been saved. Now I should say with this that although this is directed to the disciples, not all disciples are true disciples. All all disciples profess to believe, but all do not truly believe. And the prime example of this, as we'll see later in this gospel, is Judas himself, a, a disciple of Christ who would one day betray him. And there will be people, Jesus says, who call him Lord And they call God their Father who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7.21 Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the One who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Now these people might call God Father, but they are not truly His sons. And what makes the difference then is tied to the second observation. Number two, these disciples the true ones are radically committed to Jesus Christ and God. These disciples are radically committed to Jesus Christ and God. And that's just expected throughout the entire sermon. True disciples who have God as Father are radically committed to Jesus Christ and God. And by expecting His disciples to obey Him and follow Him, Jesus is claiming the role of God. No prophet or holy man in Scripture ever expected such allegiance. Jesus knows that He is God the Son, and to obey Jesus is to obey God. Jesus expected His disciples to value Him above all else. They were to be willing even to suffer persecution for living according to His standards. Look at Matthew 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted For righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In verse 10, disciples there are persecuted for righteousness sake. In verse 11, it's on my account or because of me that they're persecuted. And so Jesus here equates righteousness with himself. To live for Jesus is to live for righteousness. And Jesus expects His followers to be committed to live this way, even if it costs them suffering. In the next verse there, Jesus equates the disciples who live for Him with the prophets who were persecuted for their commitment to Yahweh. Verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says the reward for suffering on his account is very much like what the Old Testament prophets are enjoying now for their commitment to Yahweh. And so being committed to Jesus is on par with being committed to Yahweh. Now, when we think about this commitment to Jesus Christ, it's amazing what Jesus does in this sermon because throughout the sermon, he speaks in the first person. Five times, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, or literally, Amen, I say to you. And eight times, additionally, Jesus says, just simply, I say to you. Now Moses and the Old Testament prophets, if you think about it, they always said, Thus says the Lord. They never said, I say to you. They said, Thus says the Lord. They expected obedience to the Lord, not to themselves. And But Jesus says, I say to you because He is yahweh and human flesh and he expects his followers to call him lord or master and not merely to just call him lord but to submit to him as their lord again in verse 21 of chapter 7 not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me lord lord Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus must be your master and not in word only. Look what he says next. If you want to escape the judgment of verse 23, you must hear and do his words Matthew 7:24 Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them everyone who hears these words Of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, all this shows a radical commitment to Jesus. And this commitment is not only to Jesus, but also at the same time to God the Father. In fact, throughout this sermon, to obey Jesus is to obey the Father. Look back again at verse 21. We call Jesus Lord, and yet at the same time, we do the will of our Father who is in heaven. In chapter 6, verse 24 also shows our allegiance to God. We serve Him, we love Him, and we are to be entirely devoted to Him. No one can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Chapter 6, verse 9 teaches that the heart of our prayers, the, the very core of what we pray should be for God's name to be hallowed. We want God to be exalted. We want His name, His character to be revealed so that He is honored. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. And we don't only pray like this, we also live our lives to glorify God. Matthew 5 and verse 16, Let Your light shine before others so that they may see Your good works and give glory to Your Father who is in heaven. Now this kind of commitment to Jesus and God the Father shows that a radical change is required to make somebody want to live like this. Most people want to live for themselves and for their pleasures and for the glory of their name. All people are born into this world selfish and self-centered, and they're averse to suffering for righteousness' sake. Scripture teaches that we are hostile towards God, and for that very reason, we are devoted to ourselves and we despise the Lord. And that's why, in order to live this sermon out, we must start with repentance, We must turn from ourselves and from our self-love and from our sin and turn to love God and to love righteousness and to love holiness. Throughout the sermon, Jesus recognizes that His disciples are those who have repented and even that they've been born again. Now, Jesus doesn't use the words born again in the sermon, but He recognizes the reality of a spiritual transformation throughout. The sermon begins with, Eight pronouncements of blessing. But the blessed states that Jesus describes aren't natural to fallen man. God must do a supernatural work in our hearts to make us poor in spirit, 5-3. The mourning of verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, is, is most likely a, a mourning over sin the, and, and that sin in our own hearts and sin and and its effects in the world. And such mourning over sin reveals a new perspective because most people rejoice in their sin and celebrate sin and they boast in their sin. They don't mourn over it. And we could look at each of the Beatitudes similarly. Who hungers and thirsts after righteousness unless God has given them a new heart? Nobody has a pure heart unless God has already cleansed it. And so this sermon assumes that its hearers are born again. In order to do these words, to obey this sermon, to have this kind of a commitment to Jesus Christ and God requires a supernatural change in our hearts. And Jesus compares it to a good tree in chapter 7 and verse 17. He says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree does, cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Now, can I just stop here and ask you, do you have this kind of a radical commitment to God and to Jesus Christ in your life? Are you born again? Is your desire at the core of who you are to glorify God with your life? Are you, by grace, a good tree that bears good fruit? And if not, I must warn you, verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit, Jesus says, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, how do you make yourself into a good tree? And the answer is that you can't do that yourself. God must change you, but he promises that he will change you if you come to him in repentance. If you would turn to him, you will be saved. And so The disciples, the true disciples, are those who are radically committed to Jesus Christ and to God. Our third observation this morning is that this commitment produces a righteousness from the heart. This commitment to God and Christ produces righteousness from the heart. The righteousness of a disciple flows from their new nature, just like good fruit grows on good trees. This commitment to honor God really changes everything about a person's life. The righteousness this sermon calls for is much different than what the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day taught. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was an external righteousness practiced before men. In contrast, what Jesus demands is an internal righteousness. It's a righteousness done before God who sees the heart. Again, 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The true disciple wants to glorify God whether others know about it or not. The scribes and the Pharisees believed it was enough not to commit murder or not to commit adultery. But Jesus says in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we're not even to get angry with our brother in our heart. And if something is hindering our relationship with another brother, we're to go to them in 5.24 and seek reconciliation. The same is true in regard to purity of the heart in other spheres. Matthew 5.28, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And we're to take drastic measures to fight against our sin. even if we never act on our sin, we're to take drastic measures to even fight the sinful desires and to cast them off. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now we'll Talk about all of these verses when we get there in more detail. But this section really closes in 548. You therefore must be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Then Jesus tells us to give in secret so that only our Father knows. We pray in secret to our Father. It doesn't mean that we never pray in public. It just means that we don't pray to try to impress men. Ultimately, a true disciple is a good tree that bears good fruit. And that good fruit is a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. We do the will of the Father from our hearts. And now all of this doesn't mean that that we will be perfect. Perfection... Really is our goal. It's, it's our desire. But this sermon assumes that even in all of these things, we will fall short. For starters, Jesus' message in this gospel began with repentance. Everything begins with our realization that we need forgiveness because we fall short of God's standard. We start poor in spirit. We're, we're blessed and made righteous precisely because we realize that we have nothing to offer of ourself. We have, we have nothing of our own to contribute to our spiritual estate. And then even as new creatures in Christ, Jesus knows that we won't continually achieve the moral demands of this message. And that's why He teaches us to pray in chapter 6 and verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But even this shows that our righteousness is at the heart level because we are those who recognize our sin. And when we see that we have sinned and that we haven't perfectly glorified God in a thought or in a feeling or in a word or in an action, we confess it and we ask for forgiveness and we turn from those sins. But our, our righteousness is on this internal level that it's in the person of the heart that we're concerned with. And so, number one, we saw that this sermon is for disciples who have God as their father. Number two, it's that they are radically committed to Jesus Christ and to God, which number three produces righteousness from the heart. Four, then we see that this righteousness demands a heavenly minded perspective. This righteousness demands a heavenly minded perspective. in order to live the way that Jesus calls us to live in this sermon, we need to be people who believe that our reward is in heaven. We need a heavenly and a kingdom-minded perspective. And we can see this starting with the Beatitudes in 5 verses 3-10. to The, The reason these people are blessed is not really because of their present state. It's because... Their present state leads to a promising future. And you can especially see that in the second Beatitude, chapter 5 and verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They're not blessed because they mourn as though mourning were a blessing in and of itself. They are blessed because although they mourn now, in the future they will be comforted. In in fact, the second line of the Beatitudes are all future, except the first one and the last one. And and that one is the same. Look at 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then again, chapter 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then it's repeated again. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first and the last... Blessings are in the, the present tense. And, and this could be what they call a futuristic present. There's such a thing as a, a futuristic present in Greek. In, in other words, they, by saying theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it could simply mean they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. But I, I think it's better, and I think we can take it even as a present tense. And the, the idea here is that the kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit. And the kingdom belongs to those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's not that the kingdom is here already, but but these are sons of the kingdom now. And when the kingdom is established, they will enter it because it already belongs to them. But the other six blessings here are all future. God will re- reward His people who love Him now and serve Him now, And suffer for him now. And so verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. And then, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The disciple of Christ knows that this world is temporary, but the life to come is Eternal. Therefore, we wait knowing that our good things are future. In the, the parable, I don't know if you remember this one in Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man had all his good things in this life, but dying, he went to hell. And Lazarus in that parable, who represents a true believer, believed or he received bad things in this life, but he was comforted when he died. And so, brothers and sisters, our citizenship is in heaven. Our reward is in the kingdom of heaven and in eternity. And Jesus is constantly driving this home in the sermon. Again, verse 12 of chapter 5, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Chapter 6 and verse 4, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 6, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 18, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasure is to be In heaven. And the only way that we can live like Jesus calls us to live in this sermon is if we're one, truly born again, and secondly, if we truly believe that we will be rewarded eternally for how we live in this life. The final observation then is that this heavenly mindedness is kingdom oriented. And this sermon is really a sermon that is centered on the kingdom the kingdom of heaven as we've seen earlier in this series is speaking about the time when the king Jesus Christ will rule over the earth. Revelation chapter 20 tells us that this kingdom will be a 1000-year reign of Christ on the earth in which he he which then kind of opens the way into the eternal state. And during this time God will fulfill all the promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to the nation of Israel and the church and all of God's people through the ages will be there in that kingdom. And during the millennial kingdom, Christ will rule over the whole earth and He will reward His people. And I believe that Scripture teaches that this kingdom is entirely a future reality. It was was near when Jesus was on the earth, but it won't be established until He returns. But that being said, There's a sense in which we can participate in the work of the kingdom even now by preaching the gospel. We're made citizens of the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ now. And when we repent and trust in Jesus Christ to deliver us from wrath, we are made sons of God. And as sons of God, we are sons of the kingdom. And so through evangelism then, the kingdom grows. The citizenship of the kingdom grows so when someone gets saved theirs is the kingdom of heaven again from 5 3 and 5 verse 10 they will be transformed and they will exhibit the traits that we've been talking about they will be committed to christ and god and they will have an internal righteousness of the heart the true believer will enter the kingdom because by grace they will have a righteousness that flows from a new heart Matthew 5 and verse 20 again, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom is still future. We can see that clearly in the prayer of chapter 6 and verse 9. Pray then like this, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom Come, And so we are to pray that the the kingdom of God would come, and we're really praying then for the return of Jesus Christ. And yet at the end of chapter 6, we see that we are even now very much involved in kingdom work in this life. Look at chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these worldly things that we need will be added to you. And the way to seek the kingdom is by having a heavenly-minded perspective that seeks to glorify God in all that we do. Because not everybody who professes the name of Christ will enter the kingdom, but only those who He knows in a saving relationship. Again, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You see how often the kingdom is mentioned in this sermon. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of inequity. It's only those who Jesus knows in a saving relationship who will one day enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the true disciples of Christ seek to serve Christ with a kingdom focus, which is to say that we're concerned with what Christ is doing in the world now. And what is Christ doing in the world now? He is building His church. He is saving people and preparing them to live with Him in eternity forever. And so as heavenly-minded, kingdom-oriented servants of jesus christ we do our part each and every one of us does our part and uses our gifts to work together with christ in building his church and part of that work simply means living as he told us to live in this magnificent sermon in living according to what he has told us and laid out for us in this sermon and so to summarize what we've covered today this sermon is for disciples who have God as their Father, and who are radically committed to Jesus Christ and God, which results in internal righteousness from the heart that flows from a heavenly-minded perspective that seeks first the kingdom. This is what Jesus calls us to do as His disciples. And let me say, He is worthy of this kind of life from each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this amazing sermon that calls us to live as Your disciples, as followers of You, that, that, that recognizes that You are our Father and that we have been adopted as Your sons. And so we pray that You would help us to live as children of God, that we would be radically committed to You, our Father, and to Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that the righteousness that we have from being born again would be a a, a righteousness that is in our heart. And even now, as we think about that, we pray that You would cleanse us from remaining sin in our lives and help us to live more fully for You and Your honor and glory. Help us to have that heavenly-minded perspective, that eternal perspective that seeks to build Your kingdom and lay aside our desires but seek first Your kingdom and your glory father we want to be the type of people that you call us to be in this sermon because we recognize that you and that your son and that the holy spirit is worthy of our life of our worship of our all and so we ask this in jesus name amen